Thank you, thank you. I'm actually, I'm having a really hard time. That song, you know, Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Like, I'm really struggling, right? Like, in a beautiful way. Like, I do love him. I do sense his presence. And it's like a little, I like don't even want to transition. I just want to sit in that moment for a second, you know, and just be like, do you know how much he loves you? Do you know how much he loves us? Do you? He loves you so much. I can't even imagine what so many of you are going through in this time of your life, but just know he loves you. Please know he loves you. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves me. I sense it. I feel it. And for so much of my life, just longing to find other loves that only he could give me. And I just, man, that messed me up. I hope it messed you up. I hope the love of Jesus messes you up. Because it's messing me up right now. I'm like, dude, I got to preach. What am I doing? <laughs> uh, Matthew 6, if you have your Bible. Matthew 6, uh, verse 7. <sighs> and when you pray, don't keep babbling on like the pagans, for they, they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Um, eight years ago, my, my son was diagnosed with leukemia, and, um, uh, and thankfully, yeah, I mean, we, last week, we, we celebrated six years off of chemotherapy, which was like a huge celebration for our family. So he's healthy, he's doing great, 17 years old, he'll be 18 here in a couple months. And, um, but in the first three months, a part of his protocol was a, was, a, was a certain chemo, and that chemo sent him into anaphylactic shock. It was very painful, very hard. Uh, very scary. And so they draw us into this back room and they say, hey, without this chemo, his chances of surviving drop dramatically. And so, uh, but we have another option. And that another option is not approved by the FDA. It's going to cost you an arm and a leg. Uh, it's going to be very, very, very expensive, but we think it'll save his life. And so basically what the option was, was three times a week for about six months, they had to give him two leg shots, deep tissue leg shots, right in the muscle. Very painful. And so we brought him in for that first one, and that happens, and it's so painful, so overwhelming. Now, I've got to do this three times, he's got to do this three times a week for the next six months. How do we do this? So what ended up happening was I would show up to the hospital with him, and he would kind of start freaking out, right? Because he's thinking about the pain, thinking about the hurt. And so I ended up taking laps with him on the inner, inner part of the hospital and just talking to him, buddy, you got this. You got this. Come on, stay focused. Like one of the things that Cooper said to us early on in his diagnosis is God and I have got this, right? And so I was like, you and Jesus, you and God, you got this. Like just stay focused in on him. You gotta stay loose because if he didn't stay loose, his muscles would get tight and it would be even more painful. So I'm like talking through him, kind of rallying him towards this thing that he has to go through, this difficult thing. Um, and, then, and, and then he'd go in the room, try to calm his heart and get the shots. And I realized something this week as I was thinking about the, all the study I've done around the Lord's Prayer over the last month or so, and then 
actually diving in deep into the Lord's Prayer is this. I used to think of the, the Lord's Prayer kind of like this very somber, quiet thing. And I realized this week it's a rally cry. That it's like a war cry. That it's this anthem that we are in the kingdom of God right now. We are his children, right? And he is our father. And we are coming up against all that our culture is deeming appropriate. When he's going, it's not. That's the kingdom of this world. I wanna invite you into kingdom mentality, kingdom thinking. So it reframed the way I was reading and praying through the Lord's Prayer. It's a rally cry, culture-shaping, life-shaping, day-shaping, mind-shaping, spirit-shaping prayer that Jesus is inviting us into. And I wanna tell you this, it's going to radically change your life if you don't just say these words but really apply them to the way you live your life. This is the kingdom of God life, the kingdom of God prayer that he's inviting us into. And much like me taking Cooper around the outside or the inside of the hospital going, you got this, Jesus is going, I got you, stay focused. It's my kingdom's here, I'm your father, I'm hallowed. Right? I'm gonna take care of your needs, right? I'm gonna provide for you. I got you. And it's a rally cry. And so I, I hope as we go through this together that it is this very personal somber thing, but it's also this rally cry that's coming up against the kingdom of this earth. And he is introducing us once again to his kingdom, his kingdom and what exists there. Um, the Lord's Prayer is a, is a framework not just for prayer, but for life. I, I don't know if you know this, but so often we get caught up into the idea that this is a prayer instead of, this is a framework for life and the way that we are to live this life. And so Jesus, once again, remind, we, over the last month or so, a couple months, we've been trying to help. What does it mean to live into the kingdom of God? What does that look like? Well, Jesus is once again providing us a framework through prayer that is actually a holistic, a whole life thing that he's inviting us into. Okay, and so before we move on, the, the, the kind of the background of the Lord's Prayer is, and we see it all throughout this passage in Matthew 6 and what we talked about a few weeks ago, is what would happen is the Gentiles had all these complex prayers to the gods, right? And they basically, those complex prayers were filled with uncertainty. So they like used all these words more and more because they're like trying to get the gods to interact with their life. And of course, Jesus says, don't be like that. So in my mind, I have this vision of like Elijah on top of the mountain, you know, and, and, the, and the prophets of Baal. It's like all day long and they're like cutting themselves or like saying tons of words. That's the image that comes to my mind. And Elijah's kind of mocking them like, what is he going to the bathroom? You know, like, ah, you guess your God's asleep. You know, like, this is kind of what I have Jesus in his mind trying to help his disciples understand. Because don't be like them. Don't be, don't be just continue babbling on and babbling on with this level of uncertainty. I'm here in your presence. I'm Emmanuel God with you right now. You don't have to keep babbling on. I know what you need. And because I know what you need and I know how I want to love you, I want to present for you a structure in the way that you can live your life and a framework for in which you can pray. William Barclay, he's a, uh, a commentator. He says this, and, and then we'll, we'll move forward. He says, we need to bring our whole life to the whole of God and bring the whole of God 
to the whole of life. This is so important as we move forward in understanding the Lord's Prayer and what he's actually inviting us into. It's all of him. It's all of him, but it takes all of us. And are we willing to be obedient to who he's called us to be because of who he is? And so he starts off by saying, our Father in heaven. Right there, we have these two beautiful things. Our Father, this is a love. This is love. And then in heaven, power. He is loving. He is our Father, but he is above it all. He is both far away and very near. And we live in that tension, right? He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the beginning and the end, but he is so near to us right now. So he starts off with our Father in heaven. And you'll see this word occur all throughout this prayer, our. Because I think what happens so often in the Christian life is we become, it doesn't say my Father. It says our Father, Jesus is inviting us into the ecclesia, the body. This is why church is so important. Church is not just something you attend on Sunday. It's who we are because of who he is. And Jesus is trying to help us understand that this myopic way in which we approach him, it, it's misguided. And so he starts off by going, no, this is a corporate declaration, not just an individual declaration. It's a corporate declaration. Why? Because it's resisting and revolting about what Satan wants to do to you and me. And what he wants to do is have it all be about you. He wants that individualism that our culture loves to seep into your mind. And I find it so interesting I find it so interesting that the pieces of technology we have in our life are like literally drawing us away from one another. Like we have an iPhone, right? An iPhone, when I grew up, we had our phone. We only had one phone in the house. How many of you only had one phone in the house, right? Now y'all got a phone individually in your hand. It's your phone, it has your preferences. You can call whoever you want. And what we don't realize is that we've applied that to our understanding of who God is. And it's false. He's our father. And all Satan wants to do is pull you away from the flock, pull you away from the body, because there you're most vulnerable. All throughout scripture, it's talking about a body with many parts, a, a, three, a three cord strand cannot be easily broken, where two or three are gathered in, in, in his name, there's what? There's much power because there's power in the body, in the ecclesia, this is what he's inviting us into. Because the power of the Lord's prayer is not just in personal petition, but corporate declaration. This is who we are, this is what we're praying, this is what we believe. And so he then says, our Father, our Father, everything starts here. For over two decades, my father and I have been kind of on the outs. I love my father, he's a good man. But there's been a lot of hurt and there's been a lot of pain. And what I realized was, my view of my heavenly father has been dramatically impacted by my experience with my earthly father. And this is where, for a lot of you, it breaks down. 
This is why prayer, you struggle with it. This is why we continue to struggle to live and be obedient because we don't really know him as father. And I know for so many of you, you've had really painful experiences with your earthly fathers. And they've not set a great example of a heavenly father. We know that most of the social problems in our world are as a direct result of fathers who have abandoned family. Fathers who have hurt and abused and all these different things. And so what we end up doing, whether we know it or not, we start applying that to. So this term, our father, we struggle with. But everything hinges there. Everything starts there because A.W. Tozer, a, a great theologian, says this. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The Lord's Prayer starts here, it has to start here. Because if we don't know him as Father, the rest of it's not gonna follow. The rest of it's not gonna make sense. We're gonna continue to battle in this world. And so we really do have to get honest with how do I believe, who do I believe God to be? Do I believe him to be this distant deity who's sitting on a rocking chair up in heaven? Or is he my, our Father? We have to deal with that. We have to deal with that. Otherwise, the rest of the prayer, we're gonna continue to struggle with. Otherwise, I'm gonna continue as a pastor to hear over and over, I just don't feel God. I don't sense God. I don't see God. I don't hear God. I don't feel God. Because we're struggling with who he is as father. So the question is, do you really believe he is your father? When we sing, Jesus, we love you, there's something inside of you that just longs. That's who he is to us. And it starts here, the prayer says you have to start here. And then you have to transition into this next part, which is hallowed, hallowed be your name. Holy is who God is. It's who he is. Holy is who God is. Isaiah says in this, he's, Isaiah's having this a, a, a vision of the throne room of God where the angels are falling on their faces and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And as a result of that, Isaiah says, I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people in the same way. As a result of understanding that God our Father is holy, holy, holy. But I think where we've moved as a culture is we've moved away from that vision, that very sacred vision that, that Isaiah's inviting us into, and we've moved to a very sacrilegious vision of the holiness of God, where we've made him our homeboy. Like Jesus is my homeboy. Like where we, we use the name of God as if it doesn't have any reverence behind it. As if it isn't holy, we use it in common phrases. And I think there's something about us that needs to back up. We need to back up, back into that sacred space. Not a legalistic phase, but a sacred place to go, God is holy. Our Father, yes, he's loving, but he is holy. Jesus wants us to pray in a way that says, our Father is hallowed. He's holy. R.C. Sproul, another theologian, says, if you don't delight in the fact 
that your father is holy, 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 then you are spiritually dead. And I believe that to be true because I've experienced it in my life. You may be in church, you may go to a Christian school, but if there's no delight in your soul for the holiness of God, you don't know God, and you don't love God, and you're out of touch with God, and you're asleep to his character. And like smelling salt, Jesus is trying to awake our souls that God is our Father, and he is holy, holy, holy. And that should bring a reverence, and it should draw our hearts into who he is, his whole character, and that we would desire him deeply in that way. Because hallowed, as it's translated in the Greek, isn't just about knowing the name of God. Satan knows the name of God. The demons know the name of God. Hallowed is this, at least in the Greek, it's pulling us in. It's pulling us in, it's, it's saying, it's for those who intimately want to know the character and the nature of God and they trust him. This is what it means to live into the holiness, the hallowedness of God. Because here's the reality, the holiness of God does not keep us at an arm's distance. It doesn't keep us at an arm's distance because who's teaching us to pray this way? Jesus. And where is Jesus? Emmanuel, God with us come to earth. How beautiful. And then Jesus dies, resurrects, and who does he send? The Spirit of God, who is here right now, near to us. This holy, holy, holy God is not keeping us at an arm distance, but drawing us near. But do you want to experience the holiness of God? Because we see even Old Testament, New Testament, he's inviting us into this. Inviting us into this. But we, we have to be available to deal with who God is and the invitation that he's provided for us. You know, Psalms 9, 10 was really helpful for me this week in trying to work through this. And it says this, those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. How beautiful, how beautiful for you and me to have this understanding that he is our father and he is holy, but he loves us and cares for us and Jesus is inviting us in to the point where now he transitions and he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whose kingdom? His kingdom. Whose will? His will, not our kingdom, not our will, his kingdom, his will. We want it to be done. And as we read through this, we find out something really interesting. We find out that there's something very right that's happening. And we find out also that there's something very wrong. I hate that I love McDonald's. <laughs> I hate that I love their French fries because there's something so good about it. And there's something that's so, so very bad about it, right? Do you know they put sugar in their salt on the fries, right? To just draw us in. Come, come, have my magical, delicious brownness in your belly, right? But it's so bad for us. It's gonna clog up our arteries and give us heart attack. But we're like, Brah, right? Because there's something very nostalgic about it, at least for me, right? There, there's something very, very wrong that Jesus is exposing, but he's also talking about what's right. What's wrong is, is we've neglected the kingdom of God. We've pushed it away. That's why we have to invite it in. 
Our sin nature is, our depravity is continuing to push against God's plan. His kingdom come, his will be done, right? It's pushing up against it. Jesus is like, we need to invite it in. So there's both a negative and a positive here, which is there's a problem for so many of us. Is we, we, we talk like this, but we don't really want it. It's a very dangerous thing to invite into your life because it's gonna transform you. It's gonna help you and open your eyes to the holiness of your heavenly father. This is what it means to pray for this. And here's the other thing. I find this so interesting, and you're gonna have to allow me to rant for just a little second, okay? I find it during, especially during the 18, last 18 months, and, and honestly, for most of my life, any time when stuff gets hard, everybody's like, it's our time to get out of here. Like, our ecclesiology gets all crazy, right? Our end time stuff, we go like, he's coming back, he's coming back, he's coming back, and that may be the case, right? But sometimes we're so busy trying to get out of here instead of inviting him here. He's here. This is his kingdom come and his will be done on earth, not get out of here, as it is in heaven. And sometimes we're too busy trying to get out of here when he's inviting us to be here with him. All right, rant over. I feel so much better, thank you. <laughs> yeah, the other, the, the other thing I'll say around this that I think is really important, and, and, and P- Peter's gonna draw this out for us. We tend to always think about the negative things that are gonna get us out here, right? Peter goes, do you, do you know what hastens the day of Christ? When believers in Jesus Christ choose to be obedient to the call of Christ. That's what hastens the day of Christ. That's a positive thing. We're always looking at all the negative. I want you to look at the positive. As we move forward in this way of thinking, we're hastening the day of Christ. Instead of going, hey God, get me out of here, we're going, I'm here, baby. I'm gonna be obedient to what you called me to do and where you called me to go. That's empowering. Do you feel empowered by that this morning? You should be. You should be. You matter in the kingdom of God. And, and we should be saying, please come, please come. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. As in, we wanna bring heaven here. Not get out of here, we want heaven here. We wanna redeem, we want more people to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior through the way that we obey and follow after him. So maybe this would shift, maybe this would shift the way we start thinking about kingdom come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the question then arises, are we living in a way that says kingdom come? Are we living that way? Is it impacting every part of your life? And the way I'll describe it is, do we live in an anticipatory lifestyle? Do we have an anticipatory lifestyle? Which simply means this. I know some of you in here are teachers. You start school tomorrow. Glory be to God. God bless you, okay? Um, You start school tomorrow. What would it look like to invite the kingdom of God into your classroom? Come on. What would it look like for us to realize there's a bunch of kids in there that desperately need to see Jesus and through the way we live this out? You know, all of these prayers are a daily thing. He's not, he's gonna move on in Matthew 6 and he's gonna talk about, don't worry about tomorrow. This is what, how we need to live today. So what does it look like to anticipate the kingdom of God today? This has been so convicting to me this week. So convicting to me. I'm always thinking about tomorrow when he's like, I've only given you today. 
And what does it look like to invite the kingdom of God into your workplace, into your family, into your finances? Get micro on this. We're always thinking of it on a macro scale of going like, come on, rain it down. And he's like, but what about your finances? But what about your marriage? But what about your parenting? But what about your job? Invite the kingdom of God into that to redeem that as it is in heaven. This is what we're being invited into. This is a declaration to get earth out of us. To get earth out of us. Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet, not I, but who lives in me? Christ, he lives in me. This is what it is to invite the kingdom of God. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as in, he- as in heaven. This is what he's walking us through. So now we transition into this other part, but these are more little practical things, but actually they're very important things, holistic things, right? So he says, give us today our daily bread. I find something really interesting. Costco is like Disneyland for adults, right? <laughs> you walk into Costco and you watch a bunch of adults go, woo! I didn't know I needed 4,000 batteries, right? I, I didn't know, right? I didn't know I needed six toothbrushes that, that do all, right? And there's a guy in there selling you knives and you're like, I didn't know I need knives, but I do, right? I didn't know I needed Ginsu knives. I didn't know I needed that. I do need that, right? I need four trillion bagels, right? For my family, right? All of a sudden we just get all, I call it the Costco complex. We get in and we're like, woo, right? And I find, and and no dog against Costco, but I think it's actually framing up for us this very consumeristic thing. It's exposing something in us. I want all this. How many of you have filled up your your Costco cart, paid for it, got in the car and thought, I overbuyed. I, over, I overdid that. How many of you? Raise your hand, be honest before the Lord. All of us have. If you've been to Costco, you've overbuyed. You've overbought, right? Like, this is, he, he's revolting against this. Why? Because you remember in almsgiving, he's like, don't, don't, don't be like everybody else. Don't be like everybody else. And, and he says, our daily bread, which I find, again, is really interesting, which means... What what does it look like for us to simplify our lives? Because we realize there's a bunch of people in the world who don't have. What does it look like to remind ourselves like to be mercy-minded? That's what it means to be an almsgiver. To have go like, do you know what's been done for us? No, I just wanna do that. And see, something like a Costco is going to bring that into conflict because all we can think of is more, 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 more. And who is it that's providing our daily bread? God is. God is providing our daily bread. And this word daily in the Greek is actually one of the most complicated words in the Bible to translate. It's one of the, it's one of the most complicated words. And the reason why is because it's not found anywhere else in Greek literature. And so recently, recently, uh, they found a shopping list in the shopping on a piece of, papyri, uh, on a piece of papyrus and what was uh, the shopping list was basically different things to do, and this word occurred. And so here's what's really interesting about this word daily. It literally means help me get the things that are on my shopping list daily. That's what he's inviting us into. It's a daily reminder that he is the one that provides for us. He is the one that cares. And it cannot only be preached once or prayed once to yourself. Right? You don't just pray it once and go, hey, once and done. This is a daily thing. Like I went to Kenya 
three years ago. And I go in this dung hut. And we walk in, the lady's so excited to see us. And, and so she, she invites us outside and we walk outside. And, and so I was just asking about her daily life. Tell me about your daily life. She goes, well, I get up and I pray every morning. God, I need food. I don't have any food. And do you know some days he does it and some days he doesn't. And he's so faithful. And we were just like, she was so happy. And we were just so humbled that this connection that she had with her heavenly father, that he was the one that provided for her, she found so much peace in it. And I find it so bizarre that we, as it relates to our daily needs, which by the way, this isn't just about bread, this is about all our things in our lives, that when we bring those before the Lord, right, this is a submission, this is a humble declaration that God, you're the one who cares for me, you're the one who loves me, you're the one who sees me, you're the one who provides for me. And we've seen Jesus, we've seen God do this all throughout scripture, manna, a fire by day, right? Uh, a cloud by day, fire by night, water, right? He's providing for the Israelites to say to us, are we living our lives in an anticipatory way of going, you take care of me, you love me, you see me? Because here's the thing, like God doesn't need to be reminded to care for you. He doesn't need to be reminded to care for you, but we need to be reminded who's caring for us. God doesn't need you to go like, don't forget to take care of me. What we need to do is remind ourselves who's taking care of us. Isn't that so important? So as you come to this particular place in the Lord's Prayer, remind yourself he's the one who's doing it. He's the one. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He is doing it. Transitions into and forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is so convicting. We need to practice what we preach. Remember, this is what Jesus is saying all throughout this. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be, don't, stop acting. Remember this last time? Stop acting. We're acting. Many of us are just acting, pretending. He's like, stop. Stop, stop, stop. We need to practice what we preach because we do for others what has been done for us, and Jesus is inviting this into our lives, that we would confess this out loud. In fact, the literal translation of this, according to William Barclay, this, is, this was so convicting for me this week. Forgive us our sins in proportion as we forgive those who sin against us, in proportion. And we would say, oh, oh, oh hold on, hold on, hold on, because this is what I did this week. Wait, wait, hold on. He's already paid our sins, right? He's already died and our sins are washed away, right? We're white as snow, right? Yes, except that he also says, to whom much is given, much is required. That those of us who have received that redemption have an expectation to live that out in the spaces and places that he's called us to, to whom much is given, much is required. We should be known for forgiveness. Is the local church, is the ecclesia known for forgiveness because of what's been done for us? I don't believe so. In fact, Keith Green, he was a, he's a, many of you might know who Keith Green was, but back in the 70s, he was like this kind of prophetic worship leader. And he had this song called Asleep in the Light. And I grew up listening to 
to uh, Keith Green, and he says this, and this line in the song always gets me. Oh, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord, that's all I ever hear. No one aches, no one hurts, no one even sheds a tear, but he cries, he weeps, he bleeds, and he cares for your needs, and you just lay back and keep soaking it in. Can't you see it's such sin? That's super convicting. Because to whom much is given, much is required. So what does it look like to live like people who are forgiven? That the death and resurrection of Jesus has covered a multitude of sins. Therefore, now we go out. And I wonder what this would look like for you this week. What would it look like? Because what I know about the last 18 months is there's been lots of division, lots of pain. What would it look like for you to go on social media and say, I'm so sorry about the divisive comments that I have made over the last 18 months. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And then what about forgiving people who have an opposing view to what you believe and forgiving them for the way that they've maybe treated you? Like, you see how beautiful that would be? That's redemption. That's redemptive because we know what's been done for us. And we know that there's a people out there watching the body of Christ and saying, will they actually do and be who he called them he's called them to be because they speak the Lord's prayer but do they really live it out in their lives and so this was really convicting for me and I hope it's convicting for you but it's also beautiful and liberating and freeing and that's what he's inviting us into so he ends with this part and lead us not in temptation but deliver us from the evil one Uh, people get hung up on the word tempt Uh, test is probably a better word because people are like, well, wait, can God tempt me into sin? No, but if you remind yourself, when Jesus was baptized, right? He was baptized. The Father God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then it says this in the passage. And then immediately the spirit of God took him to the desert to be tempted or to be tested. And really what this prayer is saying is this. It is a humble declaration of our vulnerability. We see how Jesus was tested, how overwhelming and how hard that is. And what we're saying is, hey, God, I'm not Job. Like, please don't test me. Like, God, God, I'm not like Elijah. I'm not like Moses. Like, please, I don't, I don't, I need your help because that overwhelming testing, I, I need you. I need your help, right? This isn't about winning, Right, or like be, this is about God sparing us and asking him to spare us from that testing. And ultimately what this passage is about is, and about this declaration is about, it's about rescue. It's about rescue, deliver us from the evil one, rescue me from Satan, that that would be a cry of your heart. Rescue me from my depravity, rescue me from my sin. I'm not the one who can do it. Only you can do it. I can't do it on my own. I need you. And what I love about the Lord's Prayer is that it starts with a focus on a holy father who is in heaven, and it ends with Emmanuel, God with us, and inviting us to beg him to free us from evil, which, by the way, Jesus would say, I'm going to defeat evil. I'm going to do that. I have the kingdom of God. I have brought the kingdom of God to earth. I am going to die for the sins of the world because my father is holy. 
And because he's holy, he needs a perfect sacrifice. And I am going to be that perfect sacrifice for all who are not willing and cannot make it on their own. I am going to be the propitiation for your sins. And I do all of this because he is my father. And I will do the will of my father. This is a prayer of redemption and rescue, but the posture of our heart should be, come Lord Jesus, come. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live a pe- among a people that are unclean, and we need you, we need you. This prayer is, we need you. It's inviting us into a right understanding of the kingdom of God and who we are in that kingdom. 12 years ago, and I, I told you a little bit about this a, a few weeks ago, but I, I went to India for the first time. And what I didn't, I told you I, I talked to a bunch of pastors there, and that was a deeply impactful thing. But the other thing that was really impactful is I met a little girl, and that little girl, we were gonna sponsor. Uh, but what happened and what transpired as a result of that is that we started an adoption process. Her name is Wasuntha, and you'll see a little picture here. Her name's Wasuntha, and Wasuntha, um, is a true orphan, abandoned by her mother and father, um, and she, as a four-year-old, lived on the streets with her younger brother. And so uh, the place where I went actually brought her in. And so, I was, again, I was just gonna sponsor, and then what happened is we started a two-year process to adopt her. And it was like this really crazy process, but every year I would go back to India and I would bring people with me and I would, because I wanted to be with the pastors and, and I also wanted a bunch of other people to see and experience what I had experienced in India. But the other thing that had, the other reason I'd go back is to spend time with Wasuntha to go like, listen, she's gonna be in our home someday, so we wanna figure out what this looks like. I wanna learn more about her. And so that, I, so that second trip I came back, She's sitting on my lap and we're, we're eating chicken. Now, if you know anything about the Indian culture, that should not be surprising at all because you eat a lot of chicken. So eating chicken and she's sitting on my lap and, and we're eating chicken and she gets, we get through eating the chicken. She starts eating the chicken bones and I'm like, whoa, 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 don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And she gets angry at me. She takes the chicken bones. She eats them all and leaves. And I'm like, I look to the guy that she's living with because we're, we're paying for uh, somebody to take care of her and I'm going, Hey, 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 hold on, hold on. What's going on here? Because uh, we're, we're, I'm, I'm taking care of this little one. I'm sending you money to take care of her, make sure she goes to school. And she's eating chicken bones. What's going on? And he said this, my friend, this little girl still thinks she's an orphan. She has not come to understand that she's a daughter. And that just broke my heart. He said, she's stealing mangoes. She eats so much she gets sick and throws up. Because she's nervous. And it just broke my heart. And so like, I, there's nothing, no words I can say, nothing I can do. So I come back the next year and Wasutha's getting older and she sits on my lap again and we start eating chicken. I'm like, here we go, you know? And she eats the chicken, she leaves the bone and she runs away. And I went, huh. So I went to him, I'm like, what happened? He goes, oh, my friend, your daughter has finally understood she's not an orphan, that she's a daughter and it's changed the way she's lived her life. Now here's the interesting thing I think that applies for us. So many of us are still living like orphans when this prayer starts off with saying, you've got a father, and he's in heaven, and 
his name is holy. And you can pray that his kingdom has come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And guess what? He's got you. He sees you. He knows you. You can pray for your daily bread. You can pray for your sins to be forgiven. And you can pray that you will not be tempted and that the evil one will leave because we have the spirit of God who lives into us because he is our father. You are loved. And my question for us, and I would love to just end here with, with this. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him as your heavenly father, the king of kings and the Lord of lords? Because this prayer will transform your life. It is a framework for life, but you have to understand who he is and who you are in order to really allow it to be transformational. And so what I wanna do is I wanna slow down in this prayer. And I wanna say this with you. So we're gonna corporately go through the Lord's prayer. So say this with me. And we're gonna go slow. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And I'll end as we have historically ended for so many years, all these years in church history. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And God's church said, amen. Amen.